What's up, all you movie lovers? Al, you got something to say to the movie haters? You guys don't like movies? What are you, insane? Welcome back to By the Heart. I'm Alex. And I'm Sean. We believe that every great story is full of gospel themes. Together, we examine our favorite movies while looking at the gospel themes of characters in some of the best quotes. Also, we look at the moments that made us laugh, think, and cry. And we'll let you know when you can find a wall to pee on with our big daddy moment so you don't miss the good parts. Thanks for listening. The gospel is a free gift by Jesus given to all who believe that he paid for on the cross by dying the death that we deserved and living the life that we were meant to. And by faith alone, you get this free gift. Welcome back to By the Heart, where we examine uh, the gospel themes in some of the best movies ever. I'm back with my co-host, Sean. What's up, Sean? What's going on? And we have a real treat for you this afternoon. One of my closest mentors and friends, Cedric Beckles. He's a pastor at West Hill Baptist Church in Worcester, Ohio. And he also is the host of a podcast that is blowing up right now called How Did We Get Here? How Did I Get Here? Oh, sorry. It's called How Did I Get Here? Cedric, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. How did you not know that? You're on it. Uh, I should have wrote it down. That's all good. How did I get here? Yeah. That was my Stugats moment of the day. Oh, there you go. Uh, Cedric, what do you got going on? Talk to us about it. Um, well, we are in the middle of a pandemic, so I have a lot going on <laughs> and not a lot going on all at the same time. Um, other than that, um, I'm doing the same thing you're doing, recording podcast episodes and writing devotionals and hanging out. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I get to return the favor. Um, you've been on my podcast, which is the How Did I Get Here podcast. By the way, I think there's like 27 podcasts with that name. Okay. So <laughs> if you intend to be a listener of How Did I Get Here, make sure to type in How Did I Get Here or type my name in and you'll find it. So Cedric Beckles. Yeah. So there's it's it's anywhere you listen to a podcast. But yeah, we when I picked that name, I did some research and I really wanted that name. And when I looked, I was like, well, maybe there's only one or two of the podcasts with that. Nope, there's like 20 plus. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm just, one more is not going to hurt it. So yeah. Well, we're really glad to have you. Sean and I both could probably tell hours of stories of the wisdom that we've gotten just from sitting and listening to you. And mm-hmm. really excited to have you here as we talk about 1917. 1917. Written and directed by Sam Mendez, April 6th, 1917, as a regiment assembles to wage war deep in enemy territory, two soldiers are assigned to race against time and deliver a message that will stop 1,600 men from walking straight into a deadly trap. But first, what are the best war movies in your opinion? Off the top of my head... I got Saving Private Ryan. I got 1917. I got Fury. Mm. I got Schindler's List. You guys got any war movies that just jump out at you? That you didn't already say? Yes. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket? Dragonheart. Dra- <laughs> <laughs> Dragonheart. That's the movie where Sean Connery is a dragon, right? Yeah. <laughs> and his heart is locked in a box? Yep. <laughs> Is that a war movie? <laughs> hey, there's a lot of fighting. In hey, I'll take it. <laughs> it's um, not a great one, but you said off the top of my head. You, you, took, you took all the good ones. So. Yeah, you did take a lot of the good ones. 
Well, out of those four, what would you guys pick? Saving Private Ryan, 1917, Fury, Schindler's List. I've actually never seen Schindler's List. Okay. Fury. All right. I don't know. I just, I just love Shia LaBeouf and Brad Pitt. Yeah, I mean, I really like Saving Private Ryan, but after seeing 1917, it's hard for that not to kind of take the spot um, for a number of reasons. So, Yeah, I think that 1917 for me on the rewatch was a little less captivating. I don't know why. Because, because I'm a dialogue-heavy person, like mm-hmm. naturally. So Saving Private Ryan, as I rewatch it, I'm reminded of, okay, there is some really deep conversation happening. 1917 is really more about just this strength that comes uh, really by, well, you got no other option here. Yeah. It's yeah. just an adventure. I'm on the complete opposite end. I don't read good. So <laughs> on the other end, this is an audio-visual movie. And Saving Private Ryan, I like it. It's great. But it doesn't really do it for me. This is my favorite war movie. Because the audio and visual is incredible. After the first scene in Saving Private Ryan where they storm uh, Normandy, there's really not a whole lot of like actual fighting, like action scenes. There's a few, but the movie is really a dialogue. Um, 1917, well, not the same. I mean, I am a dialogue person. However, I appreciated 1917 because it didn't have a whole lot of dialogue. And I think the reason why was because it allowed me to focus on what was going on, but also create somewhat of a dialogue in my own head while watching it. So uh, I think, I think like Sean, I'm on the opposite end of your comment about n- not liking it because it didn't have a whole lot of dialogue. And I, I agree with you. I am a dialogue person, but I, I appreciate it being able to sit and watch mm-hmm. without, without so much dialogue. So I think yeah. that that's what I felt in the theater for sure. It was like, whoa, I was captivated. But watching it on my TV, I maybe I was probably just distracted. But could have been. Um, I also think it's curious how we would probably answer our favorite war movies based on our age. Like my dad's generation, our parents' generation, probably are gonna say like Apocalypse Now, or All Quiet on the Western Front, or Bridge on the River Kwai. That's a good movie. Or The Great Escape, which I think The Great Escape is terrible. I, I meant <laughs> All Quiet on the Western Front. All Quiet on the Western Front, good. <laughs> That's a good. Movie. The Great Escape, not that good. I've and never seen it. I didn't. It, I wasn't enticed by it. It didn't do much for me. I've never seen it either. It's these movies that like people who grew up in the '60s and '70s, um, they uh, like decide that any movie made from 1950 to 1980 is automatically the best movie ever, which is just not. <laughs> um, but uh, before we move on, I actually have the best war movie. Actually, Sean has the best war movie ever. Sean, what is it? Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> Great movie. Somehow that gets put in there as a war movie. I don't know. Hal Hitler. That's why. <laughs> You're gonna have to go back to the first pod. We're, we're, you know, we're just that's our official stance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Um, so this movie, 1917. Uh, like I said earlier, I think it's a movie about finding strength that you didn't know you had, and it's also a movie that shows really the disgusting reality of children sent to war. Um, the two main characters, Blake and Schofield, they look like they're 16. They're, they're probably 18 to 20 um, in the movie, but they're definitely young. Um, so with that being said, let's move into our first category. This is our gospel theme moments for our characters. We have Blake, played by Dean Charles Chapman, and we have Schofield, played by George McKay. Dean Charles Chapman is best known as Tommen on Game of Thrones when he jumped out of a window. And George McKay is in a movie called Captain Fantastic, which you should watch, uh, where he plays a child that was 
bred in the woods with the rest of his family and didn't know that the real world had real world things. Um, so we have Blake. Blake is the one who dies. Um, what are some gospel theme moments for him that you had, Sean? I think from the very beginning, he's the savior for his brother. He gets the, com- the command from them is to go give this message to pull back and retreat because the Germans are waiting for them. And Blake knows that his older brother is going to be, is in that command. So it's been given to him. And now that's his mission. That's his mindset. That's at this point, probably pretend it's going to be the rest of his life. This is his mission because he dies on the mission. But I just think he's the savior figure for this family. Hmm. Yeah. Blake is given this uh, command to go uh, eight miles or eight hours worth. I don't think they said the exact amount of miles, but eight hours of a trek so that they don't go right into enemy lines. And the thing that gives him enormous strength is that he knows that it's his, his brother is there. Mm-hmm. Cedric, do you have anything on Blake? Yeah, similar to what Sean said. Um, I, you know, he's given a task. You use the word savior. Um, and he's given a task to save as many people as he can um, with a with a really difficult and seemingly impossible task. The thing I noticed about it, you know, when you talk about gospel theme, is he doesn't have any hesitation. I think, like... I think there's sections of the movie you can see, maybe this was intentional, but you could see in his face that he maybe knew that this wasn't, like he might have died on this mission, or that he might have got there in time and still might have died. You can see that on his face he recognized the reality of what he was about to do, but he didn't hesitate. I mean, I think when they first got the mission, the captain said, you must leave now, and he was like, we got to go right now, and it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to go pack my stuff, let me think about it, let me write down some notes, let me, let me put a plan together, he was just like, okay, let's just go right now, so it was without hesitation, so, you know, you talk about a gospel theme, a savior, uh, understanding the weight of the situation, and that it has to be done now, if, I, if it's going to be successful. Yeah, that's so good. I wrote that he has a strength that it looks like it's real. Like he's somehow he's not scared. No, like he, he should be. He should be terrified. He should be terrified. They have to cross no man's land. And every person that he comes into contact with before they get out of their trenches is like, yeah, the Germans are right there. Yeah. You're gonna die. And he's like, nope. Commanding officer said that we're not. And I wrote, he trusts his commanding officer like wholeheartedly. And uh, I don't love Jesus juking, but because I think that everything should be Jesus juked. The question I wrote is, do you trust your commanding officer? (laughs) But that is the gospel theme for him, I think, in my opinion, is that he trusts his commanding officer so much that he will go into no man's land without hesitation. I think it speaks a little bit to your statement, too, about boys going to war. You know, there's a level of boyhood trust that you have in your commanding officer. You know, for most of us, that's our fathers or grandfathers or whoever. You know, I, I have a young son, and still to this day, I could get him to believe almost anything. Mm-hmm. He's getting he's getting to the point where he's giving me the look like, I don't <laughs> know if I believe that. But, but and you know, that's what it made me think of, you know, when you said that. It's just kind of like trusting your commanding officer, like, and sending boys to war. You know, like, I mean, you, you mentioned the other people that, that said, no, the Germans are right there. If you look at those guys in the movie, they're men. They're older men. They've been fighting for a while. So, like, no, what are you talking about? Like, but here's this young boy, if you will, who's trusting that the information is accurate. Uh, so it kind of speaks to that point, too, about, about boys going to war. Yeah, and uh, that kind of talks about uh, the disciples and their, how young they were. And um, they dropped everything on Jesus' call. And even though people called them crazy, you know, they're like, well, Jesus is 
is true and what he said has come to pass. So I'm going to go into no man's land for the rest of my life. And I think that you gain a particular strength in Christ that you don't have in yourself. A strength that would let you go into no man's land and the no man's land of your heart as uh, Pastor Cedric and Pastor Al might say sometime from a pulpit. Sermon title. Are you ready to go into the no man's land of your heart? <laughs> All right. We, we have Schofield, played by George McKay. Um, Sean, you want to lead us off on Schofield? Yeah, he's reluctant to do his mission, and he's almost traumatically blown up or and crushed at the same time. Uh, and then his heart changes, and you see the heart change where it becomes seemingly Blake's mission to do this. Now it's his mission to carry out this this uh, I don't know, letter to, to stop them from getting murdered by the Germans. And his heart changes. So you can see this heart change when all of a sudden it's it's relevant to him where he has the full mental perspective that this isn't just something to help somebody else. This is my mission to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Cedric, what about you on Schofield? Yeah, Schofield actually reminded me a lot of Thomas. Um, and he said, you know, because there's, there's a section in the movie where he's like, I don't know why you brought me along for this. Uh, I don't know why you selected me. And Blake's like, well, I didn't know what they were picking me for. <laughs> um, and then there's, you almost see like, you know, you, you know, the story of Thomas, he's like, you know, I need to see the proof. I want to see it for myself. And Schofield kind of starts to see the proof. Like, okay, I see the, I see the, the importance of this mission. I see why this is valid. I see why this is, why this is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I think about a gospel theme, he, there's, it just, it made me think of Thomas. Like, okay, you know what? Yes, he was reluctant. He was hesitant. He's dragging his feet a little bit. He wanted to see the proof. He needed to see the proof. And once he saw it, it became his mission as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's huge. I, I have something very similar that he had to have uh, a particular experience to find a strength that would let him do this mission by himself. Like he was very reluctant. He didn't want to be dragged along. Uh, he was pretty mad when he got blown up. Mm-hmm. And it took until Blake was killed in front of him uh, for him to find a strength to say, okay, I can push on. And I think that he kind of drew Blake's strength is kind of what I noticed in um, Psalm 23 is what it reminded me of. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, Schofield had to basically take the three fourths of this journey by himself. And, um, he had to garner some strength from a place that he wouldn't get by himself. So uh, I ask again, are you ready to go into the no man's land of your heart? <laughs> Before we move on, let Sean, go ahead. Uh, I, I thought you said there that he had to experience something for his, like for his attitude and his heart to change. And I think that's actually, I think a really good thing that as Christians we can attest to is that God does care about your emotions. Yeah. I think a lot of times as Christians, we think, oh, well, you have to just suppress your emotions, suppress your feelings, and just follow God, and just follow these rules. And really, that's not it. Like, your your emotions matter. You're created with them. They're gifts. You're supposed to, through Christ, see those through a lens that's proper and, and good. But those things do matter. They are true. We're not supposed to just suppress them and push them down and, and avoid them. Because, I mean, eventually they're going to come back and they're going to rear their, their head in a really ugly way. Yeah, mm, that's really good. 
Uh, before we move on to our uh, our Billy Madison moment, I just want to talk for a second about our Big Daddy moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Adam Sandler movie uh, confusion. I want to uh, talk about when Blake dies and how terrible of a scene that is. Blake and Schofield just decide they're gonna. Well, okay, I like the the valor in helping out the German who's dying. <laughs> But Schofield turns his back on him? Cedric, what, I mean, you were talking about this earlier. Yeah, I, I liked the Valor until he died. <laughs> so before he died, I was like, oh, man, like this, this, this young kid is at war, and he still has a heart to help the, the opposition and maybe get some information from him. But then he dies, and I'm, immediately I'm like, "That was dumb. Why did you? Why did you do that? Like that, you know? <laughs> like you said." And then this, like Schofield turns his back on him to go get him some water. I mean, that's just not. So there was. I, I agree. I don't. I mean, the section of from a movie standpoint, I understand. You know what they were doing, but it didn't. It really didn't. It. I didn't appreciate that section of the movie at all. It made mm. me really uncomfortable when I watched it in the theater because I thought the same thing. Like, why are you turning around? You're turning around like. You can just stand there with a gun and walk backwards. This is a German soldier. What's he just going to decide that he's not going to... Well, they're my friends now. Like, I just didn't like it. I also, I also felt it was the maybe one section of the movie where it actually felt flat. Mm-hmm. It felt like they wanted to kill Blake and they didn't know how. And they were like, eh, let's just kill him this way. <laughs> it just felt like it didn't feel... He didn't go out in a blaze of glory. He didn't go... You know, it just... It's kind of like those stories you hear of people being so worried about getting into an accident because they're getting ready to go on a long family vacation, a 20-hour drive, and then they get into an accident less than a mile from their home. And you're like, well, okay. That was kind of, <laughs> all right. Like, you, we planned for everything else, but you didn't plan for the for this one little intersection in our town that we know was always busy. It just felt flat. It just felt like they, they wanted to kill him and they didn't know how. And they were like, oh, let's just kill him this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say, though, I think the movie gets infinitely better once he dies. Because I think it then shows how good Schofield is. Whatever his name is. George McKay. George McKay as an actor. And then you see his heart change, his attitude changes, and he takes it on as his mission. His attitude is awesome after this. And I think the rest of the movie, pick somehow it picks up after No Man's Land and the German bunker. It was definitely a bottle scene. Like It was a scene where it it needed to do nothing to move along the actual plot Mm -hmm. like there was no blaze of glory like you said but the plot needed to move yeah and if if blake was killed in like a gunfire like schofield doesn't get out of there yeah i do appreciate um from a cinematic standpoint when he dies or the process of him dying it was great his face you know he got flush and then he turned blue um, you know, those types of things, I mean, not to sound morbid, but you know, those, it, I did appreciate the realism yeah. behind that, you know, because he would have been nervous, you know, he would have been losing a lot of blood. So I like the accuracy of that part of it, but mm. I'm really curious how they do that. I mean, yeah, I all know. that computer tech stuff. I don't know. I don't read good. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Our second section, the big daddy moment, moment you had to pee. There's no moment to pee in this movie. I think you can't. I mean, I didn't have to, but if you were going to, there's a natural break. I mean, almost smack dab in the middle of the movie, you know, when he gets knocked unconscious and it goes dark, you can kind of squeeze it in there. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to go around real quick, but <laughs> but you really can't. I mean, you just going to have to hold it. Actually, the second time I watched this in the theaters, I did. I actually think that's when I went. During that time? Yeah. 
It's really the only time you can go. Yeah. But if I'm watching it for the first time, no. I think I I might need my... Never mind. Mainly because Sam Mendes does a great job of making this a one-shoot production. Um, multiple cuts, but it looks like it's been one shoot the whole time. So you're you're kind of taking on the journey with Schofield and Blake. Mm-hmm. Where if you miss something, you're like, how did he get here? It's not like all of a sudden you have a 10-minute intermission where a commander is talking. Yeah. No, you're always with Schofield. Um, all right, our third category, the new category that we're doing, the By the Heart movie recommendation. Al, what do you got? Um, these are the movies that might fly under the radar. And for me, um, I have me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Mm-hmm. One of our favorites. Funny enough, you said, you called me and said, bro, my dad called me and said, hey, you need to watch this movie. And then you watched it and called me and said, bro, you got to watch this movie. And I watched and was like, that movie's amazing. You should go watch me and Earl and the Dying Girl. You will not be disappointed. Category four, our gospel-themed quotes. These are the quotes that point us to the reality that God is sovereign and a creator and... Um, in control and that we live in chaos without him I have actually the quote that I have is from the scene that we just talked about where he gets killed um, but Blake says to Schofield am I dying and Schofield says yes I think you are and it gave me like chills the first time because he was brought to this stark reality that death is for everyone you can't avoid it and whether you get stabbed by a German soldier or you get COVID-19 or you're one mile from your home, we all have to deal with death and the implications of what death brings, which is eternal. Um, yeah, there, it's so deep and so wide that we don't even have time, but it just reminded me that I'm not in control and um, I could die at any moment. Sean? I don't have anything to add to that. Cedric? Any quotes? Yeah, I have two. Uh, one, I think it was one of the officers. He said, I hope today would be a good day and hope is a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that was a really good quote. Um, just thinking about it from a gospel perspective. It's the hope that we have in Christ and what that hope in Christ allows us to do. It allows us to do things even beyond our natural self. It, it allows us to do things even beyond what we think we could do because of the hope we have and Christ and you, and I'm pretty sure it was in the movie right before they decided to go over the trenches. And he was just like, "Well, you know, I I, I have hope. I have hope that this is going to work." And he's, like, "Well, hope is a dangerous thing." And the other one was uh, Schofield and Blake were walking, and Blake was questioning Schofield about his medal. And oh. why don't you have it? Why don't you have it? Where did it go? And he's like, "Well, you know, what's the big deal?" And he was like, "I I got rid of it. I traded it." He's like, "What for a bottle of wine?" And he said, "Why?" He said, because I was thirsty. <laughs> and, and you think like, wait a second, well, how is that a gospel quote? And I thought, as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, when we think about being thirsty for Christ, being thirsty for the gospel, being thirsty for what? For who God is, you will trade anything that doesn't seem like, anything that seems like it, it's worth more when being filled Oh, well, you know, being quenched is worth more than anything else that you currently possess. So those are the two that I had. I thought it was really, I thought it was really interesting. It was a funny dialogue, but also it just kind of resonated with me from, from that perspective. That is a great place to stop. All right. Our Jimmy V moments of the movie, moments that made you laugh, moments that made you think, moments that made you cry. Every single day. 
You gotta laugh. You gotta root for the Green Bay Packers. I was just trying a new Jimmy V voice. Did Jimmy V live to be 95? That was my... Yeah, that was me if Marlon Brando played Jimmy Jim Valvano in a movie. Um, go ahead and check out that YouTube video. Jim Valvano, SB speech. You'll understand what we're doing. But moments to make us laugh, think, and cry. I think we all had the same laugh moment. Sean, what was it? Yeah, Andrew Scott's entire scene. <laughs> yeah. They walk up right before they get to No Man's Land to cross into No Man's Land. And Andrew Scott's the commanding officer in charge now because the other one died like two days ago or something like that or last night can't remember and he's trying to figure out what's going on he says settle a bet for us what day is it he said friday and he's like oh that idiot thought it was tuesday <laughs> then it then it's not even done there he's so just exhausted because they're expecting the cavalry to come and they're not there's no one to replace them they keep talking they keep walking and they're talking about essentially just the death and destruction of war and andrew scott turns to him and says cheer up though there's a medal in it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and immediately after that, he talks about the flare gun. So he's like, hey, when you get there, shoot a flare so we know you go to the other side. And he's like, but you're not going to get there. As soon as you get to the top, they're going to start shooting. He's like, I hate to lose a flare gun that way. So do me a favor. Once they start shooting, why don't you throw it back? <laughs> so, so, so that was my funny part. It was just like, it was just like you said, the whole that whole dialogue from the beginning to the end was really funny. But that part actually made me laugh out loud. Yeah. He said, you know what, just throw it back. And then he sprinkles them like holy water with his alcohol, with his <laughs> yeah. liquor. Yeah. Like, my goodness. Andrew Scott plays Moriarty in um, Sherlock, Sherlock the BBC series. You should watch that too. He's, that might be one of the best villains I've ever seen. In a, well, I don't even, that's a show, but they're hour and a half episodes. and There's only three of them per season. Yeah, they're basically motion pictures. Yeah, it's worth your time. Mm-hmm. All right, what about Think? Uh, for me... I just said, would I fight for justice? I mean, this is World War One. The British are in France. Um, you know, they crossed the English Channel to fight a war that really wasn't on their own territory. Now, it would have gotten there, but... Um, yeah, that's just a... War is such a hard topic to talk about. But would I be willing to fight for justice on this type of scale? I don't know. I think I'd want to, but... It's a very scary thing to walk into. Sean? Well, there's that moment in the middle of the movie where Schofield gives and receives help and to that young girl during a super intense time. Like, he's getting chased by German soldiers. And then he finds this little bunker, or I guess basement? Is that what it was? Yeah, I think it was, it was a basement. basement. And he finds and, rece- and receives help from a girl who's taking care of a baby that's not hers. Mm-hmm. And I, all I could think of was, I mean, put lightly, war is just cruel. Hmm. Yep. Sad. Uh, the part that made me think was actually how they fought. So, you know, the first sizable portion of the movie towards the beginning, they're walking through the trenches and we're following, you know, we're, we were following them walk through it. And, and as they were walking through the trenches, I just thought it made me think like, man, it's just crazy how they fought back then. <laughs> Having to dig those trenches and build them and fortify them. Uh, it just made me think, it made me think of, of just how, people fight and how they've always fought and how it's evolved over time but just watching those scenes in the movie it just made me think i actually think i said something out loud while i was watching it like man it's crazy that they used to fight this way um and then just blindly going to the top of a trench and not knowing in hopes that you're going to get the upper hand so it just made me think about that yeah Mm. yeah i actually like 
I would I watch this with you and Garrett, and you and Garrett are kind of little little history buffs, I would say. Yeah. And you guys started teaching like me a little bit more about trench warfare. I didn't really know that much, and then after that, I like went home and I think on the car ride home, I started googling stuff about trench warfare and World War One and whatnot because I thought it was like that that this was the strategy. <laughs> Just keep pushing each other until one side is overrun. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and France's like infrastructure was destroyed for lo- lots of years because of this. France took the brunt <laughs> of Germany and uh, Great Britain for World War One and World War Two. One of the things I also that also made me think about, I guess, after the movie was, could you imagine like having to clean up after this, Oof. having to take care of your land after a war, and a crew of people you you may have had to go out and pick up dead bodies. Yeah, you said war was cruel, and there's another scene where um, they're kind of just riding in a in a little wagon um, in the middle of nowhere, really fields, and you see all of these cows have been shot, mm-hmm. and one of the British soldiers says, uh, why would they shoot the cows? Like, what how, What kind of person are you that you can shoot the cows? And then another guy responded and said, one who has unlimited bullets. And then the other guy said, it's really clever because if they didn't shoot the cows, we'd eat them. And it's just like, wow, war is super cruel. That was another thing in the movie, too, that I thought it made me think. And if you pay attention to it, there's like these very, very small... They're not even references. Just they show one uh, guy who's fighting in the war who's an Indian, and then they show one or two people that were African, and it's accurate to what was going on at the time, meaning that there were Africans that fought in that war, and there were Indians that fought in that war. In fact, there was millions of Indians that fought in that war, but we don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not really talked about in the history books. It's not talked about in documentaries, and even in this movie, it isn't mentioned. It's just like. A quick, hey, yes, Indians fought. Hey, Africans fought. We're just gonna throw one or two of them in there. We're not, we're not really gonna give it much airtime, and that's exactly what happened. They just didn't get much airtime for their effort to the war itself. So I thought that was I thought it was interesting that uh, it was accurate, but still not cool that they, we don't talk that much about how much those two countries specifically helped with this war. Yeah, and that goes into some colonization and. Um, India had allegiance to Great Britain too, um, force forcefully. Yeah, and yeah, that, that's really a good thing to think about there. Um, what about our cries? My mine's quick. My my cry is was Sean's think, uh, just the younger girl in France giving him shelter and also sheltering a little baby that's not hers. I just was welling up inside of me that. Uh, wars cruel that was somebody's reality that's yeah. a lot of people's reality there's not as if that stuff isn't currently going on somewhere mm-hmm. for sure mine was when Schofield finally finds uh the older brother mm-hmm. and tells him here are here are his things he's mm-hmm. he's dead mm-hmm. and he doesn't even have, he doesn't even have to say anything he just says he's not here mm-hmm. that was hard i don't know I always just, I think as, you know, if, if you have a brother, you kind of look at things in that perspective. I couldn't imagine being an older brother hearing that. And his brother, like, it was very emotional because his brother didn't really respond right away. He kind of got choked up. Yeah. He also got excited. He was excited first because his brother was there. It's like, oh, where's he at? Oh, uh, yeah. And then he realizes, oh, he's bringing me bad news. He mm. didn't make it. Yeah, that's, that was emotional. Yeah. Cedric doesn't cry, apparently. Yeah, so maybe something's wrong with me. I don't have a cry <laughs> and have a moment that 
invoked the emotion to cry. However, I did have an emotional processing moment in the movie. And then that's weird to say it that way. But it's actually at the very end of the movie when Schofield is done with the mission. He sits at the base of a tree and he pulls out some pictures and he's looking at those pictures and the movie ends. And for me, it was an emotional reaction because I felt like we'd spent so much time from from a familial standpoint, focused on the Blakes. And we don't really know anything about the, about the Schofields. And at the very end, we see that they're, they're, we give a, he's, we're given a tiny window into the fact that he has people too that he is fighting for and wants to get back to. And I almost felt like, wait, what, what's that? What's that part of the story? I'd love to know what that part was from his side. So I, I agree with both of you about emotional, you know, feeling the, the emotional or the emotions of being a young woman in a country where, you know, they're fighting and the getting the bad news and going through that emo- that emotional roller coaster for Blake's older brother of thinking that he was there and then realizing that he died uh, but i it didn't it didn't make me want to cry but but for me the emotional processing moment was at the very end yeah. yeah i think there actually is another one it's when Schofield finally gets away from the Germans that are chasing him throughout the night and he jumps into the river which is a great scene that's such a cool picture um, and he almost like falls asleep in the water and then he wakes back up, and as he's climbing out of the water, he's climbing over dead bodies. Mm. And then he just, he finally, he realizes it, he's freaking out, he gets out, and he walks up on the grass, and he gets on his knees, and he just starts crying. Mm. I don't know if it's, I didn't, it didn't invoke tears or anything, but it was heavy. It was yeah. heavy. He's having like a little bit of, a, of an anxiety attack. Yeah, I think that's what it was, yeah. It wasn't a cry of, like, hurt, it was a cry of anxiety, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, those are really good, guys. Well, we have our last category. This is the by the heart. These are the moments that captured us, that make the movie great art. It goes from a story to something that we want to watch over and over again. Um, mine is all encapsulating. The cinematography, Sam Mendes, the director, just did an incredible job. Every scene was captivating. I've never seen anything like this before. Me either. Yeah, we're saying we're we're never given an opportunity to see anything out of the story of these two individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where like they are in they are in the mid we are in the middle of their of this story with them the whole time. It's not like a like a traditional movie where you 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 cut away from one story arc and then you cut into another one. We're we're in the middle of both of this both of these men's story the whole time. So. That was very captivating. And then, like you said, too, from the cinematography side of things, you know, just that, that feeling of one shot following the whole time. I mean, even the tense moments, you're right there. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, the director doesn't allow you to be pulled back. It doesn't mm-hmm. give you a bird's eye view. You're right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. I think all of that's captivating. I mean, really, the entire movie is captivating. You could almost watch it once in for the purpose of, like, being exposed to the story and you could almost watch it another time and just just consume it as art and yeah it is that captivating so yeah. you can just watch it for the technicality mm-hmm. and i think the other thing that captured me was that um george mckay is a great actor like, yeah i would be so surprised if that guy doesn't win an oscar the very last fighting scene he's running across the field and he runs into an actor and they fall over and he gets up and just keeps running well, if you watch some interviews, he wasn't supposed to get hit. 
Yeah, they weren't supposed to run into each other. But he could have stopped and started the scene over, but he realizes as a as a creator of art, like, this is going to look real. Yeah, they said his instructions were, just go until we tell you to cut. And so he just thought, all right, I'm going to keep going. Yep. And that, and that I mean, George McKay is great. He, I think he's going to be the next young actor that we're going to be talking about for years to come. I think there are at least... If there were moments that captured my heart, there were like three or four moments. One, the pan, the first walk through No Man's Land. That's incredible. Absolutely just captured my brain. I was in it. Two, when he starts walking up and he hears the, the song, uh, the guy before they go into war, mm-hmm. that just absolutely changes the mood of the movie. And then three is, man, when he's running across the battlefield and the bombs are blowing up behind him. <laughs> I, those three scenes, I've never seen anything like those before. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 1917, this movie is awesome. Really, you should take the time to watch it with no distractions. You should put your phone down. This isn't a movie where uh, you can miss a whole lot because it's a one shot all the way through. Um, Cedric, really excited that you got to join us. Thanks for coming on the podcast with us. Um, tell tell us once again where we can find your podcast. It's called How Did I Get Here? You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, but if you, it's, it's hosted by Podbean. So if you go to, how did I get here? CJB at podbean.com or just search that in any way, shape or form, uh, or search my name, Cedric Beckles, you will find it. And we'll post it, uh, in our Instagram, um, post for this 1917. Remember guys, Jesus is Lord. He's the only one in whom we find real strength. Join us next time as we review the most famous movie. Sean, what are we reviewing next time? Terminator Salvation. Terminator Salvation.